And I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us also online. I want you to know that um, God is reaching you right where you are. Be confident in God always. The, 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 the great apostle Paul charged the Philippian church. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The word again there means in case it crosses your mind that there is something you are going through that does not warrant rejoicing. He said, again, I say rejoice. Just keep rejoicing. Hallelujah. The Bible says, in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I don't know whether it's old age that is coming to me, but uh, something is just happening to me. I find that every day I'm learning how to be stress-free the more. <laughs> how to not just be stressed. I, said, I told my wife, I said, maybe it's old age. <laughs> but it's not old age. It is the word of God that is bearing fruit in our lives. You see, many times we stress over many things that are unimportant. And the reason I said maybe it's old age is because when I look at 10 years ago, 20 years ago, some of the things we were really worried about, you know, we eventually crossed it, and it now today it looks as if it was never a problem at all. And it happens every time, and yet we don't learn. So there's no reason, tell your neighbor for me, there's no reason whatsoever for you to be anxious. There's no reason whatsoever for you to be worried. God has it all in hand. Hallelujah. Amen. So we want to thank God. We are on our series. This is the fifth part, uh, the fifth session of our series on embracing ministry gifts for restful increase. And we are dealing on a very important topic today. I know you hear this every week, but this is the reality because they are all important. The teaching ministry is so key. And uh, today I would like to crave your indulgence to allow me to just take as much time. I will do my best to keep it within the time we have. But this is one ministry that is so vital to the church that, believe me, I don't think we can do justice to it, not even in two hours, to be quite frank. It is so vital to the church, it is the very soul of what keeps the church vibrant and going strong. It is what allows reproduction in the body. It is what allows mentorship. It is what allows that solid footing of the body of Christ that allows them to stand and to stand, to stand, and to stand strong. The teaching ministry is so important. And so I want to crave your indulgence today that we will rush through a lot of things. Try to get something to write because it will help you to note some of the scriptures so that when you go over the, the, the message again, it's easier for you to follow because you made some notes and then some dots will connect because there's a lot of things we're going to say today by the grace of God. You see, according to the Bible, the body of Christ is blessed with Three different types of gifts. We have been reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 4 to 6 for some time, and I would like to read it again. There are, say with me, that there are manifestation gifts, there are administrative gifts, then there are operational gifts. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 4. Let's read it together. We're going to read the three. It says, there are diversities of gifts. Are you reading with me? Let's go together now. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Somebody say manifestation gifts. Every time you read about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they are given to the body of Christ for manifestation. There are nine of them. We have gone through them in a series before, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discernment of spirits, the gift of faith, the gift of healings, the gift of miracles. And then, obviously, the uh, gift of tongues, gift of interpretation of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. There are nine of them. They are manifestation gifts. The Bible says if you read on to verse 7, we won't read there this morning. If you read on to verse 7, it says they are given to profit the body. They are given to profit all. So they are called, again, say with me, manifestation gifts. Then let's go to verse 5. Verse 5. Verse 5. It said there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Somebody say with me, administrative gifts. These are by Jesus Christ. We read about them in, in Ephesians chapter, of course, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11 tells us about the gifts I just talked about, the, the manifestation gifts. But the differences of ministry, we have been reading about them, and that's what this series is all about, which is 
about Ephesians 4, 11, the Bible says, and he himself gave some. We have been reading that a lot and we'll still read it today. So there are differences in ministries and therefore administration in the body. This talks about the gift of the apostle, the gift of the prophet, the gift of the evangelist, the gift of the pastor, which we looked at last week. And today we're looking at the gift of the teacher, the gift of the teacher, which is the fifth of them. So these are administrative gifts. The one that we don't usually talk about or we mix up is in verse 6. They are called the operational gifts. Somebody say operational gifts. Verse 6, verse 6. The Bible says, let's read together, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. This we will find in Romans chapter 12 from verse 4 to 8. Make a note of that. Everything you read in Romans chapter 12 verse 4 to 8 is a working of the all in all for operations. So you will see some of the administrative gifts there. You will see some of the spiritual gifts there, the, 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 the uh, manifestation gifts there, the spiritual gifts. You will see some of the ministries. You talk about prophecy, and then you talk about administration. You talk about benevolence. So they are, they are the operational gifts. They, they, they are given to the body of Christ, worked by the same God, working all in all, so that we can operate. You know, in management, we always talk about strategic management and operational management, isn't it? Strategic management is always giving a vision. It's always that high-level kind of vision that says this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. And that is what the, the, the ministry gifts are. The apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the evangelists, uh, the pastors and the evangelists, pa pastors and teachers. This is what they are. They are given to bring that administrative framework to the body of Christ for the sake of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So they are very important. But you see, these operational gifts are the works that God does in each individual person, regardless of your office, to allow us to operate effectively within the body and even outside. So that is why it talks about the if you are given that gift by prophecy, it's a prophesy. He said, if you are given that gift of diligence, then be diligent. Be, as a leader, be diligent, and so on. So these are also known as the operational gifts of ministry. We have included three of them in this series because the others are very similar to the administrative gifts. So we will be looking from next week, we will look at three different ministries that have more of the operational gifts, but they feed the administrative gifts. These are the table ministry, which is what we will learn next week, and so I won't go into that now because of time. And then we also have the benevolent ministry, the giving ministry, and then finally we have the leadership ministry, which are all operational and the Bible says there are diversities of those activities. Some translation says diversities of these operations. If your Bible has that, let me see your handle. There are diversities of these operations. I believe if you have NIV, it shows that. And then it is the same God who works all in all. So when you look at all this, why does God give these things? This is why I keep emphasizing the fact that it has never been about titles. The body of Christ has moved away from the nitty-gritty of what it is, have put upon members of congregations some titles, and those people have been running away or running around with many titles and not doing anything. A title is useless if the carrier of the title does not understand the, the purpose for which the title is given. It's useless. It's useless. It's like saying that somebody has come out of the royal family and they never told them. The moment they were born, they took them and put them in one, one village somewhere like that. And they never told them that they belong to the royal family. Now, even if people are calling that person there his royal highness, it's useless to him. That title is useless to that person because he doesn't know what it connotes. He doesn't know what it connects to. So we must understand that these are not titles. We, we, we are in a generation that must move away from, and I'm not against titles, but I just think that we need to take a step back and, and get rid of the, the notion that we think title is it. I've been in church life many times where people are, 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 are serving okay, but then the moment they are given a title, it becomes a problem because they don't want, maybe, it's, I don't know, it just confuses them or they think they have to behave in a different way. A title doesn't mean anything. It just function is what is key. 
By the grace of God, I have been doing pastoral work many years before I was ever called a pastor. I was officially ordained as a pastor first time in 2011, officially. But more than 10 years before that time, I have been invited by churches to do programs like pastors would do. And I've been pastoring people. I just do the job. Opportunity is there to pastor. We just do the job. Because there is no, it's not about titles. Praise the Lord. Even in secular work, a lot of people are, are hampering, hampering themselves today because they carry titles. If you come from my background, there are people who are in certain professions that I didn't even know that they now have titles. The day I heard that somebody was called pharmacist something, I said, ah, it has started again in that country. I never knew that they gave pharmacists titles. I knew doctors, I knew engineers, I knew architects. But now if you don't call them pharmacist uh, XYZ, you will be in trouble. <laughs> and he doesn't know the code to one drug <laughs> all his life. But he's happy to be called pharmacist. <laughs> is that what is important? <laughs> It's not important. Those things are unimportant. You say, you must come. They address somebody. They just say, doctor, somebody stand up. He didn't stand up. He say, because I am engineer, professor. <laughs> and he can't remove, he can't change one spoke of one bicycle. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's get rid of titles. Even in my secular work today, I don't carry, by God's grace, I thank God for where God is helping me to. I don't carry the title of what you would call a professor in, in, in the academic world, which by God's grace and God's privilege, I'm not worried if he gives it to me, I will. But to the glory of his name, I have been operating as one for years. For years. I'm not making mouth about it. It's just so that we understand that it doesn't matter. Tomorrow I'll be speaking to some people in South Africa, a, a guest lecture. Last December, I did one in Germany. Earlier this year, I did one for, for people in Nigeria and all over the world were connected. There are many people who carry that title. They have, nobody has ever had their voice outside those group of people that they say they have that title. What am I trying to say? Let us get rid of unimportant things, whether in your secular life and particularly in the body of Christ. Just get the thing done. Just get the job done. Get the job done and let God be glorified. My prayer is that the body of Christ will come back to that place where we understand that there is work to be done. Now, I am not saying we will not have titles. We will have titles. We will continue to have titles. But I want to lay an emphasis. By the grace of God, this church has not awarded any title for many years now because I believe we need to get to this place first. Get an understanding so that if by any reason God now says give titles, everybody giving title will understand why they have the title. And then they, will, they would have been functioning very well without, uh, with, it, with, with it before the title. And then they will function better even with the title. Because it is very important. The fivefold ministry gifts are those administrative gifts. They were born out of a need to fulfill the great commission. One of the things God showed me recently which baffled me, which really shocked me, is the fact that I have read Matthew chapter uh, 28 from verse 18 to 20 for a long time. And I never really saw this until very recently. The fivefold ministry is right in there. Let's read it together. Matthew 28 from verse 18. Let's go together now. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, go with me very carefully through verse 19. Let's read together. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations. Those are three administrative offices right there. The gift of the apostle, the goer, the one who plants, the one who initiates. Therefore, is linked to verse 18. Let's read verse 18. That's the gift of the prophet. Jesus came and said what? Spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go to verse 19. The therefore is linked to what Jesus said. And that's the work of prophets. Prophets always tell the church, this is what has been written. This is what has been commanded. And this is how we will be doing it in line with what has been written. So the go therefore is, is, is the great commission, but is, is, the, is what causes the effective working of the apostolic office and the prophetic office. And of course, you can pick the third one by yourself. He said, make disciples of what? All the nations. This talks about the evangelists. They are the going forth. In Mark's 
rendition. In Mark 16, 15, you don't have to turn to it. Mark said, you go therefore, rather than saying make disciples of all nations, he said, preach to every creature. Preach to every creature. So the work of the evangelist is there in making disciples of all nations or preaching to every creature. That is the disciple. You can note Mark 16, 15 as it corroborates that very statement. And then the work of the pastors, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is the ministry of the pastors that are there to make sure they shepherd the flock. Baptism means they are brought in. They are baptized into Christ like everyone else that has been saved before them. And they are allowed to flow with the flock. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 20 explains itself. Verse 20. Let's go to verse 20. Can you see the fifth one there? Can you see the fifth ministry? Teaching. Somebody say teaching. The ministry of the teacher. So you see, the word of God is so complete. I've read this verse for, I don't know, maybe 30 years. But just recently, he showed me, he said, the great commission, as soon as Jesus was speaking, before he rose and gave gifts to men, he actually had made provision for all those ministries to function in the great commission. He said, after you have baptized them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are pastored as a flock, you do what? You keep teaching them, let's read verse 20 together, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. That is the work of the teachers. The grounding ministry, that's why we call them the grounding ministry, teaching them to observe Teaching them to obey, teaching them to know, and teaching them to obey the things that have been commanded. That is teaching them to be doing things, living life as I've commanded. Teaching them about the kingdom, teaching them to know how to stand. So you can see the fivefold ministry of administration there. And then it ends it by telling them that. It is all as a result of his mandate, and he will not leave them alone. He said, and lo, I am with you, what? Always, even to the end of the age. Just so that they understand that none of the ministry gifts has anything to do with a person in themselves. Last week we said the pastor must always rely on the chief shepherd, and so must all the gifts. The apostle must rely on the one who sends him. The prophet must rely on the word of the one that has sent him to give his word. And the evangelist can only rely on the word of the one who sends to go out and gather some more. Hallelujah. I pray that God will continue to help us to see these things. In the name of Jesus. I want to quickly also explain something. I can go into a full message on this, but I will just quickly talk about it. The difference between preaching and teaching. Many believers don't know this. At times they use preaching, they use teaching, they don't know. They say the man was preaching, teaching, teaching, preaching. They don't know which one is doing. Now, it's all in, that, in those verses as well. But I want to just quickly give us a, a quick overview. There are so many uh, schools of thought and a lot that people have done to try to uh, explain these two things. Preaching is very fundamental. It is the very first things that we do. It is about making disciples and raising them in the awareness of kingdom matters. Preaching is more about giving the awareness of the kingdom. So anytime a message is to be preached, it must contain elements of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ being the center of that kingdom. The Bible says in Colossians 1, 26, uh, Colossians 1, 13, that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's Colossians 1, 13. Kingdom of his dear son. So it is important that we realize that it is all about the kingdom. Thank you. You can take off this scripture now. It is all about the kingdom. It is all about the kingdom. Praise the Lord. So preaching is about giving awareness to the kingdom. And it is important that we know this. And then teaching is about instruction. It's about instruction. So that everyone who receives it will be trained and they will now be able to live out the kingdom principles. So it is about instructions for living in the kingdom. Preaching allows you to come into the kingdom, tells you about the kingdom and continues to tell you about the kingdom. It is teaching that tells you the principle 
of living in the kingdom. That is why last week we said pastors can preach and teach. They are called to preach and teach. But teachers are not necessarily pastors because they have a gift. That is where I'm coming today. They have a unique gift upon their lives to help people understand the principles of the kingdom and live accordingly. Hallelujah. I don't usually like to put up Greek and Hebrew, not because I don't want to, but because at times we don't understand. But at times it's very good for us to to come back to those basic words that were original of those words we are dealing with. The Greek word for teach is known as didaskalos. I'm, I'm quoting it because it means to instruct. Didaskalos means to instruct. A teacher is given the mandate to understand the things of God and instruct accordingly. Hallelujah. There are many examples of this in scripture. The one for preaching is known as keruso, K-E-R-R-E-S-O. K-E-R, sorry, U-S-O, keruso, keruso. This word simply means to herald, to proclaim, to declare. So this is what preaching is, to declare, to herald, to proclaim about the kingdom. But when we come to teaching, we have to understand the importance that it is about instructing. It is about making sure that the kingdom that we have heard about and that we have accepted and that we have been accepted into, we are learning the principles to live thereby so that we can be productive. So this is the purpose of these things. And uh, the main duty of the ministry gifts we have said over and over is to equip the body for the work of the ministry. We have read that many times in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Let's read it again. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for edifying the body of Christ. So whether we are called to be apostles, whether we are called to be prophets, whether we are called to be evangelists, whether we are called to be pastors or teachers, our duty is to equip the body for the work of the ministry. We need to see how we pray and study. You see, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, one of the scriptures I quote quite often, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me. Learn of me. Many of us as believers do not understand that we are called to learn of him. We are called to learn at his feet. Now, the process of learning is just simply by studying the word of God and praying. We need to learn how to study the word of God and pray. When we, when we are prayerful, we allow the Holy Spirit to take over our thought process and help our learning. When we study, we connect to the real words that we need to learn from. And so for us to be effective in teaching, we must be a people who are very studious and can learn of the master. Praise the Lord. D.L. Moody said something. He said, I'd rather pray than learn how to preach. He said, Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach. No. He never taught his disciples how to preach, but he taught them how to pray. (laughs) Because if you know how to pray, you will have access to how to preach, how to live, how to do everything. If you learn how to pray. So believers don't understand the place of prayer. When we call for prayers, people say, oh, you know, I don't have time for that. You you are leaving out the most important thing that Jesus taught his disciples so that they can also be a people who are effective in their ministry. No one who is called into the teaching ministry will survive without prayer. Many times I say to you, God speaks to me, God speaks to me. He doesn't just come speak to you. If you pray, 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 and you pray, you are prayed up. You open the avenue for you to hear him every time. So prayer is a channel to which he feeds your spirit man, and then he gives you a message. Every teacher has a message. Every teacher is given a message. If you are called into the teaching ministry, the more you pray, the more you find yourself growing in a line of thought and in a school of ministry whereby you are meant to deliver. 
Now, we are all called to teach the word of God in totality, in totality, but we must understand that we cannot do it without prayer. We cannot be effective without prayer. Praise the Lord. Sorry, I'm just, I need my, my back feeds here. That's what I'm trying to sort out. Praise the Lord. Are you sure we're online? Yes? I want to see a wave. Are you sure we're online? Because I don't want, people are there. We're not there. Uh-huh. So please sort that out. Because people are there and it's not, we've got to just make sure we're not cutting them off. Hallelujah. God bless you. Amen. Father, we thank you. You are a good God. You are a faithful God. You are so good. You are so kind. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I will have to take some quick time to go through these five things. Um, I've tried to give it enough time to join, for people to join us online, but um, we'll just have to carry on. Uh, I guess the recording is still taking place, so we can at least make that available. Okay? Now, Paul, when we read, those of you that are going to be listening to this later or you're watching online, um, we read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 13 in our Bible reading. Pastor Lola led us earlier on. I want to quickly tell us five things Paul showed us there. It must be the characteristic of a teacher, a good quality of the good qualities of a teacher from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. I just want to give us five of them there as we make progress in the service. One, in, in verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace. Be strong in the grace. Be strong in the grace. One more time I say, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The very first thing that teaches like every other uh, ministry gifts need, but I'm concentrating on teachers today, the very first thing they need is spiritual stamina. You need to be strong in the grace of God. You see, a lot of teachers today are not building stamina, spiritual stamina in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, so they are bending to what people want to hear because you will be opposed if you are a uh, it is, if you are declaring for the truth, you will be opposed. Your message may not be as popular. It may not be as inviting, but you have to learn what Paul is saying to Timothy is that you need to be strong in the grace. <laughs> it was Leonard Ravenhill that said something funny. He said, if Jesus preached the message that many of our ministers are preaching today, he said that they would not have crucified him. <laughs> The message would have been so watered down that there would be no need. They would just let him to be living till <laughs> 1,000 years. <laughs> they won't crucify him because there's no, there's no power in it. And I learned from that. He said if Jesus was preaching like many of us are preaching today, many ministers are preaching today, but he was there. He was there very, very openly telling people like the one-on-one -on -one dialogue he had with Nicodemus. He said except a man be born again, he cannot receive the kingdom of God. He said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He said, anybody that receives him will have everlasting life. But anyone that does not receive him is condemned already. That was harsh. That was hard. But he didn't move. He didn't budge. They said, are you the son of God? He said, you, you, you say so. He said, wow. They, they were very hostile to him. And say, he said, son, be strong in that grace. The first thing that believers, teachers must understand is that we must be strong. You must be strong. Don't give up the good fight because you are being opposed. Don't give up the good fight because it doesn't seem as if you are gathering the crowd. You leave that to the Lord. God told me about four years ago in the, in the, in the course of this ministry, just kicking off then, sort of, he said to me, he said, son, you can never go wrong as long as you keep doing the right things. It is impossible. Human beings may make you feel you are going wrong. Situations around you may make you feel you are missing it. But as long as what you are doing is right, you stay on the right. It's just a matter of time. I've heard that word so many times from him. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. But how do you cope in the time that you are laboring? How do you cope in the time that you are persevering? You must be strong. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor for me, keep being strong. Hallelujah. Then the second point is in verse 2. Let's go to verse 2. 
He said, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So number two is what I've explained before. A good teacher must have the ability to teach teachers, not just teach others. The ability to teach teachers. As an educator, I understand when I'm sat in front of teachers and you are trying to communicate something that they need to go and communicate to others, it's very different. It's a very different kind of classroom. And I'm sure those of us who are into that trade will understand. It's a very different thing than when you are just communicating with those that you need to give some kind of knowledge to. When you are training trainers, you are coming at a higher level because you are inputting into them something that must be sufficient knowledge to stimulate another thing that will help them to teach others as well. It's a grace. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's a grace. And be ready for argument as well when you are doing it. <laughs> because everybody is a teacher there. They are full of ideas. So everything you say, they challenge this one, challenge that one. So you must know your stuff very well. Praise the Lord. So he said, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these. This, this kind of training does not just come by words. The greatest impact it has is in instruction, example, and integrity. He said, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, the things that you have heard from my mouth and the things you have heard people say about what I am saying to you, the things that you have heard people say about me. He said, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And it's not so much about him. It is about the Jesus Christ that he represents. So we must understand that as teachers, we must be confident to continue to lead by instruction, example, and integrity. We must speak the things that we have both seen and heard. In Acts chapter 4, we don't turn to it now, but note it down from verse 13 to verse 20. Read it at some other time. This was after the man at Gate Beautiful was healed, and he, the lame man, and he jumped up, and he was now standing with Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles. And people were saying that the, the Jews and the Pharisees were very upset that people were now following Peter and John because of this man. And then they, they called them. They said, stop speaking in that name. Stop speaking in that name because we don't want you to speak again in that name. We don't want you to preach and teach again in that name. <laughs> Peter looked at them and said, you know, you judge for yourself. You judge for yourself whether it is right for us to stop speaking the things which we have both seen and heard. The things which we have both experienced and heard. A teacher comes from the platform of both knowledge and experience. They come from the platform of knowledge and experience. They have handled it. They have touched it. They can be authoritative about it. You can have no authority. When I, when I, when I see people describing a place they've never been, you will know. When somebody has never been somewhere and is talking about the place, you will know, isn't it? Because if, especially if you've been there, as soon as he starts talking, you know, this person has not been to this place. I used to have that a lot when I was in my home country. Many people like talking about abroad. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they talk about London. He's, been, he's just some kind of, you know, flash thing that he knows about it. But when he sees people that do not understand the place, he starts to talk as if, and everybody will be wowed. But you that you were there, you know, you just keep quiet and pity him or her. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> you pity him or her. Or somebody telling you about New York or some place they've never been. But the reality is that a teacher would always tell you categorically and emphatically, I've been here, I've tested this. This is the word of God, this is how it worked in my life. That's why at times it can be misconstrued as if they're talking about themselves. It's not so much about the person, it is a proof, it is the evidence of the fact that they have tested what they are talking about. Praise the Lord. Now the downside of that is when they overdo it and they forget to keep pointing people to the one who makes it happen. So that's the downside of it. So you must have the ability to teach others, to teach teachers. Then you must be disciplined, verse 3. Verse 3 and 4, let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, yeah, verse 3. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And verse 4 says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may do what please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Somebody say with me, you must have the discipline of a soldier. 
if you are going to be an effective teacher, you must have, it's non-negotiable, you must have the discipline of a soldier. It's very important. Soldiers are regimented. Soldiers don't live. That's why in verse 4, it says, don't, no one engaged as a soldier, technically, entangles himself with the affairs of this life. They are not casual about things. They are time conscious. They are clean. Have you seen soldiers in their regalia going for a ceremony? You'll be surprised. They are sparkling, starched up, properly dressed, shoes polished, appearance immaculate. They are serious-minded. And they stay where they are called to stay. If you are in artillery, you are skilled in that way. If you are in armory, you are skilled in that way. If you are in communications, you are excellent in that way. So he said no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with frivolous things. They are time conscious. If they are given time to be on leave and they have to go and attend to private matters, they go there and they are very clinical with time. As soon as it's time to leave, they don't waste one more time. They leave. He said, if you want to be a person like that, you must be. You must be studious. You must seek to be skilled. You must seek to be persevering. In the war front, they are persevering. In the war front, they are hit at times. But because the war is still on, they go on with injuries. This should apply to every Christian, but we're looking at it in the context of a teacher. A teacher must understand that to operate in our climes, in our current times, you must be like a soldier. You must be regimented. When it's time to pray, you are praying. When it's time to study, you are studying. Non-negotiable. You must be that disciplined. You cannot in any way achieve much with your spiritual ministry, with your spiritual teaching ministry, if you are not disciplined like a soldier. So it is very important we understand this. Number four is in verse five. He said that, and he also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned until he does what? Competes according to the rules. So number four point there is that you must have the focus of an athlete. You must have the focus of an athlete. There is only one thing that an athlete lives for. The prize. The prize. Wake him up anytime. He's either competing for a belt or a medal or whatever prize it is. You can never see an athlete say, I'm just running for the sake of it. I don't even know. I wake up, I go and run, I come back, I run. But that's how many Christians are. They're just doing it for the sake of it. A teacher must understand that there is a prize ahead. There is a prize. Just like we talked about the pastor last week, who, who must wait for the chief shepherd to come back and reward them. A teacher must always compete according to the rules. According to the rules. Part of the rules is the fact that the teacher must understand that he is giving a message that is not his own and he must stick to that message. Even if it is an unpopular message, he must stick to it. Part of the rules of the teaching ministry is that whether he is teaching one or 1,000, he must teach seriously. Part of the rules. Because God is watching. The giver of the gift is watching. He's assessing. What is, this heart, what is the heart of this person in line with the work he has been given? Is he doing it because he can see a crowd or is doing it because he is, happy, he is excited at the opportunity and grateful for the opportunity to be a teacher? So he must be willing to learn. Every athlete must be willing to learn. Every athlete is willing to learn. So you must be willing to learn. That is part of what enhances your teaching ministry. There is no one teacher that does not learn from another teacher. There's no one. Even Adam learned from God. It's when he failed the exam that he, you see his problem started. <laughs> There's no one teacher that does not learn from somebody. So you must be willing to learn. And when you are willing to learn, you must also have the unwavering focus towards the goal. He said, if anyone competes, he is not crowned. He's not crowned until he competes according to the rules. Always remember what the rules are in the ministry. And then finally, in verse 6. Let's read verse 6 together. Verse 6 together. He said, the hardworking farmer must be first to do what? Partake of the crops. So he must also have the diligence of a farmer. He must have the diligence of a farmer. This is very important for us to realize because many times we do not understand the diligence of a farmer. The diligence of a farmer 
is something that every one of us must have as teachers. This means we must have kingdom harvest mentality. The diligence of a farmer is the farmer. A farmer goes to a field and you and I will be seeing barren ground full of all kinds of trees, shrubs, you know, I'm just talking about a virgin field. But what a farmer is seeing, he's seeing an orchard. He's seeing crops in one corner. He's seeing, you know, uh, greens in another corner. He's already seeing the harvest. And that is what drives him back to the passion for clearing the ground, tilling the ground, sowing the seed. That is how a teacher must function. A teacher does not function from, first from the labor of sowing the seed of the word. He functions from a perspective of seeing the harvest. Any teacher that does not have this ability will be tired in no time. What keeps you going every week, every time you have the opportunity to teach is because you keep seeing the harvest. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, he said, look at the harvest, they are ready. If you see the way he sees, there is a way you are also foiled up. He did not say pray that there will be people to reap the harvest. He said pray that there will be laborers. Because it is about laboring to get to that harvest. He said pray that my father will send forth laborers. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ready. So anyone, the Bible says, the hardworking, the laboring farmer must first partake of the crops. Every one of us must understand this. A lot of people, again, I will say, like I said, with prophets and teachers, a lot of teachers, because Galatians 6.6 6 says, he who is taught the word must in every way communicate in all good things to him that teaches. It's scripture. If a, peer, if a person teaches you the word of God, and you learn by it, you profit by it, and God blesses you in any way, communicate it to them, even with words. Communicate it. Let them know that it blessed them. Share the testimony. At times, in material things, communicate it. But teachers must not be into teaching ministry for this purpose. You don't come into teaching ministry because you are expecting what will be communicated to you because the Bible says something should be communicated to you. When you are in need for that, you, you miss the whole essence of what God is doing with that great ministry. But when you go with the intention of making sure that him who is taught becomes of the Lord a harvest in the hand of God and one that God will be using in this end time as a teacher of others, then you are fulfilled. And then whatever needs to be communicated to you, God will always make sure it's communicated to you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I believe God rewards, and I believe the people who take care of the, 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 the flock of Christ must be rewarded and should be supported to do so. I said this in the course of the week when we were rounding up the pastor's session last week. I think it was in the uh, Bible study or in the Friday session. I did say that in the, of a truth, I stand for the fact that I believe that altar people, by the grace of God, if God can help them to have uh, uh, their own income and don't have to rely on the church, I believe personally that should be the first way to go. And that is fine, and that should be encouraged as much as possible. But I also believe that, you see, the body of Christ, where it is possible to pay a pastor, I'm saying this very carefully because I'm not asking for it, but I'm only saying, where it is possible to pay a pastor and to allow them, or a teacher, and to allow them to function in that role because they are paid and they are allowed to concentrate there, in all probability, you will gain more from such people than when their time and attention is divided, especially if they are not of the two or five talent. If they are of the one talent person, there is one talent, Matthew 25, there is two talents, and there is five talents. The Bible makes us to understand. If you have a pastor who is of the one talent or a teacher in that congregation who is of the one talent to just be teaching, the congregation must make sure they pay them for that work so that we draw the balance. Because I know I've said many times, and I keep saying it, that you know, it shouldn't be why pastors and teachers are there. But we should understand these things. When I was a little boy, uh, in the very early 70s, the church I, I was born into and grew up into 
my, they didn't have a pastorium. And the pastor, he's gone to be with the Lord now. He died at about 92, just a few years ago. Very lovely servant of God. He trained in the States, then came back to Nigeria and was very firebrand. And I remember he would ride his bicycles, his bicycle, for almost 30 minutes before he got to church every Sunday. And there was no pastorium on the church. And the church, the, 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 the missionaries that took that land, they were very visionary, like they did for many places. They took a large parcel of land in Kano, Nigeria. You wouldn't believe that they can get such big land. At the end, we built pastorium uh, and, and, and nursery school inside the same land. That was how big it was, on top of an almost a thousand-seater church auditorium. But that auditorium was there. There was no pastorium. There was no nursery school. And I remember I was very young. I was barely five years old, very early 1974-ish. And uh, my father was championing the cause that a pastorium should be built on the premises, that the land is there and the church could afford it. He was an elder. And some people were kicking against it. Let him be like all of us. You know, why this, that, that, that. You know, he's doing his work. We pay him salary, blah, blah, blah. And I remember, I was very young, but I remember those conversations because I used to stay with him when everybody has gone and they were doing elders' meeting. I would be the child that was with him. And when we were going home at night, I would just see him, you know, kind of musing. And he'd be musing. And say, but why wouldn't they see it? Those were the things I was hearing from him that made me put the stories together. Not that he was talking to me about it. But what I'm trying to say is this. At the end, that pastorium was built. I'm sure I, I pray that they built another one by now. But lovely edifice, it was put there then, finished around 1975, 76. The pastor moved there. And in next to no time, that church just grew. Within a year, a church that was virtually filling up every Sunday was now having to do morning service, evening service because of the crowd that was coming in and because the, 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 the passionate involvement of the pastor was able to increase the time he spent riding his bicycle and then they bought a car for him as well. And that was another problem for some of the people there <laughs> because you buy a pastor for, you buy a car for a pastor in 1975, man, you are, <laughs> at, worst, at best motorcycle was good enough. <laughs> we have done a lot of things that have cost us rubbish in the body of Christ. So, I am never saying that pastors should not be rewarded where possible, but what I'm trying to say is that, please, this emphasis on money, 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 money should be completely taken away. And if God can help people to have their own income, by all means they should. That means you have the talent of the two or the talent of the five. You go for it and let the body continue to be edified in the mighty name of Jesus. The Bible does not say we should aim. It was Jim Simbala that said this. This is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. He said, this is not, God never said we should worry about numbers. He said we should just be faithful at teaching the right word. He said God in his own time will always cause the work to grow. Hallelujah. He will cause the work to grow. The disciples were not expecting 3,000. Peter just came out and said, men and brethren, what you are seeing here is what has been prophesied. And this is it. The Lord whom you crucified, God raised him up. And this is that, and that is it, and that is that. And 3,000 were added. They didn't, when they were praying in the room, they didn't say we're strategizing now for 3,000 to be, this is the word you will preach. They, said, no, just, they just went there and preached the word, declared the counsel of God. May the Lord help us in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that time has gone, but I want to close on this. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We must not forget this very important point. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1. 2 Timothy 4.1. Thank you. He said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Verse 2. Verse 2. Read it with me now, everybody. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Paul was careful to tell Timothy this. You have to have long-suffering with your teaching. He said in verse 3, this is the reason. He said, "For let's read together. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have what? Itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And verse 4. He said, and verse 4. And they will turn their ears away from what? The truth. And be turned aside to 
fables. Fables. Verse 8. Verse 5 now. He said, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What's the work of an evangelist? Keep preaching the word. Keep preaching the word. Fulfill your ministry. He said, you be watchful. Endure afflictions. That time Paul was talking about is right now. People no longer want to endure sound doctrine. And I want to say this to everyone who is called into the teaching ministry, pastorate, and particularly teaching ministry. Never let anything take your mouth off the sound doctrine because it doesn't look like it's producing at the present time. Stay on course. Stay in fulfilling the mandates. Whether you are teaching in your, in your family or you are teaching in, in your neighborhood or you are teaching in your workplace or you are teaching teachers in the church. Verse, go back to verse 3. He said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That is that time that we are in. We have been warned about it. We all should be praying that we will not be part of those that will not endure. But above all, we should pray for grace to be able to endure when our message is not received very well, when our message is turned down. I said to my wife today, we were talking generally about many things as I start to bring this to a close. And uh, we were talking about many things, how the devil can bring discouragement to ministers. And one of the things he does is to use people to discourage you. People will tell you that you don't have a message. People will tell you that who told you you are called. They may not use those words, but their actions, they will do those things to you. Verse 5. But you keep enduring. You keep enduring. You keep watching, watching and keep enduring those afflictions. You keep doing the work. You keep doing the work. She said to me, but at times, even, even close people like family will turn you down and, and make you look as if something is wrong with you. I said, that's true. I said, but they did it to Jesus Christ. Then she smiled. <laughs> I said, even his own brother said to, they didn't believe him until God helped them after he had left. <laughs> they now start to see that, oh, this man had what it took. Friends, don't be discouraged. We are living in times that are, the Bible has called perilous times. Stay strong. It started from there. Have that spiritual stamina. Many people have given up on their faith journey. They have given up with their service in the kingdom because of people. How do you give up because of people? <laughs> you don't give up because of people. God called you. Stay on course. And God will continue to glorify himself in your life. In the name of Jesus. From today, nothing will discourage you anymore. When you open your mouth to teach the word of God, the wisdom of God will come through. In the mighty name of Jesus. Rise to your feet and let us talk to God very quickly. Where, where?